how do you separate yourself? Be helpful, be resourceful, be positive, hustle everywhere, not jog, lazy jog, sprint everywhere. Anytime they go, we've got AABs. That's a stat at UCLA. It's called above and beyond AAB. Go to every AAB drill, meaning drills are over at noon. Lunch starts at 1245. We've got AABs from 12 to 1245. Stay there. Ask a bazillion questions because coaches today want players that are engaged. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Agle. I'm very excited to be here this week, especially because the format of this episode is similar to that of our Olympians episode. It has the most listens out of every single episode. Yes, including you, Father, sorry to say it, where we had all of our former Olympians on the podcast leading up to the Olympics. I believe it did so well because it just had so many great snippets in it of each episode that we've done with Olympians. Now, this week is exciting because I'm sharing with you some guests that have been inside my virtual hitting academy. So if you don't know already, one of the perks of being a part of academy is you get to learn from not only me and my experience through the game mentally and physically as hitters, but you get to learn from other people who have been there and done that. And we've had six guest speakers in the past six months and their names are Joe Maroney, who is the owner of Always Grind 365. And you guys know I love their journals so much. And Joe spent some time teaching a little bit about the journals. Kendall Burton, she has been on the podcast before. So if you enjoyed her episode on resilience and literally having 23 surgeries before the age of 18 and then having an acute ischemic stroke, I'm surprised I said that in one take, in college, which hindered her from being able to play at the level she wanted and she found a way to make it happen. It's just such a resilient story. She shares it with my team. Uh, also, Chris Fasami, who you've also heard on the podcast, he was our third speaker. And of course, he talks hitting and approach and how to bring your practices into games. I think that's the big question. Uh, I'm also taking a snippet from my sister who came in to talk to my academy members about just her collegiate experience. And I'm excited to share with you a little bit of a very hot topic when it comes to college athletics. And the last two speakers, I'm pretty sure everybody and their mother knows these two speakers. And they've also been on the podcast, Natasha Watley and Sue Inquist. 
Natasha is going to share a little bit about her Olympic experience and competing under pressure. And Sue Inquest, at literally this, uh, the day I'm recording this, she spoke to my Academy members yesterday. I am still so fired up by this conversation. And it was very hard to choose which snippet of the conversation I wanted to share with you. Um, but her entire talk was about key principles for parents of performing children. Yes, there were a lot of athletes in, in attendance and she she is so good at getting to the level of everybody in attendance. And man, she fires me up. I cannot wait for you to listen to her. Now, before we dive into this, Virtual Hitting Academy doors open July 1st. And I only open them twice a year. I used to op- I used to just have them always open, but like, what's the hype in that? And I've structured Academy so that it's in these six month bits. So athletes from wherever you live can have literally archives of videos to help you with not only your physical game, like how to be a better hitter mechanically, but also how to be a confident hitter, how to be a smarter hitter, how to have just more game savviness. So by the most important games of season, you feel prepared. So I like this six months because we really spend time on like where your hitter's at right now. Like she's in the middle of summer, if you're listening to this when it's recorded. And these are some of the most important games of the year soon. And I just want to make sure that athletes kind of lead up to that. And so, you know, this this next six months is going to consist of we're wrapping up some of our biggest games. Like, how do we make sure that we're our mind is right before our best at bats? How we are able to be maybe a little more clutch than we normally are. These are things that you can learn. And these are things that you can find inside Academy. And then we're going to bleed ourselves into the the fall and the winter. So preparing our off season so that again, we're at our best when our best is needed come summer. So I really love this six months, especially because this next six months is going to look different than the first six months. Um, And that's just the whole point of Academy. And this is one of my favorite projects. Uh, I started it in 2019, virtual hitting, (laughs) basically because this is before COVID, but because when I was younger, the best hitting coach near me was two hours away. And every single week, my parents and I sacrificed our gas money, which, oh my gosh, imagine gas money is so much right now. But we we would drive two hours to my lesson. I was there for an hour or maybe it was 45 minutes, something along those lines. And then I would drive home. And that was a weekly routine starting my, I want to say going in like somewhere in my sophomore and junior year. And we did that for almost two years. And it was, it was a routine. And it was something that I needed. And I just want those who don't maybe have that elite coach even two hours away to be able to have access to things to make them a smarter hitter. But also, if you wanted to get access to me as your hitting coach, you can sign up for weekly hitting. And I can work with you from wherever you live, from your backyard, from your garage. I worked with athletes in their school gym before because their mom's a teacher. I just want you guys to have access to anything and everything to help your athlete thrive. And the athletes that are in here right now are so driven and they they haven't always been that way, but they're finding clarity within themselves and their game. And the amount of growth I've seen, I, I hope to share some videos, but in the first six months of this year in January, athletes sent me their, their swing. Just, just literally a couple of videos of their swing from different angles. And I've given them drills in the six months to hammer. 
And when I mean hammer, it's like every time you pick up a bat, you're doing this specific drill and everybody's different. Everybody is physically different. But just hammering that drill and adding even just 10 to 15 reps every single time that you hit, those compile. And at the end of the six months, we check in to see like, where's your swing? And the amount of confidence I see athletes just have in telling me how good they feel now. And then they send me more videos and I'm like, do you see this transformation? Like it is real. Like you are more balanced now. Your hands are so much faster now. And yes, it's one drill over a repeated time that it just compiles. And the night, the fun thing is I have athletes who have been here for the six months. They're coming back for the next six months. And we're going to hammer another drill and we're going to do, we're going to do things maybe a little different than the first six months, but that's called growth. And, and these kids are literally seeing their own transformation and is so cool. And, and I don't care about your batting average, um, but they're naturally growing. That's all I'm going to say due to the fact that you're more confident in your abilities and you've been putting in the work on yourself seeing that transformation is everything. And I know I just talked about this for so long, but that's how passionate I feel about Virtual Hitting Academy. And I would hate for you to miss doors open now because they're going to be open for a week. That's it. And then we're going to close the doors, get back to work, and then we're going to open up again in January. But I don't want you to wait till January. I, I want you to see the transformation in your athlete now. So there's no obligation to join my waitlist for this. If you just want a couple freebies and some inside scoop on what's going on with virtual hitting and some access to things that nobody else gets, just join my join my waitlist. It's at www.ashleybtraining.com. And again, you can just join it. There's no obligation to buy. Um, it's only 197 for six months. And I'm telling you, Sue Inquist's call yesterday was worth every single penny. I would have paid $197 just for that conversation. And there is hundreds of hours of recorded videos and mental skills talks that will blow your mind along with a ton of drills, but like everybody, drills are easy, but that's, that's the work that you don't see anywhere else. And I, and I think 197 is, is just the upfront cost. And then every six months you stay in after that, it's just 97. So it's, and I know it may seem like a lot upfront, but I'm telling you the, the dividends that it'll pay off in six months, it will be worth it. Um, people tell me I should I should charge a lot more. And who knows, maybe in the future, I'll charge a lot more for this. But right now, this feels like the right price because I want people to be able to have access to this. And the ones who take advantage are the ones who see the biggest results. That's a fact. So I know I talked about this for a while, but if you are interested in just joining the waitlist, pause this episode. It'll be here when you need it. Um, but just join the waitlist so you don't miss out on, on when doors are open, when deals are going to be given, and just some special bonuses for people who want to come. www.ashleybtraining.com. Click on Virtual Hitting Academy. Join the waitlist and July 1st, baby. I'm so excited for this. All right, back to why you're originally here. Let's talk about these guest speakers we've had. So uh, the first guest speaker that you're going to hear from is Joe Maroney. Uh, like I said earlier, he is the founder of Always Grind 365. He is a incredible partner of mine, but I had him come into the academy to teach athletes how to use the hitter's notebook or yeah, hitter's notebook. I always call it a hitter's journal, but it is called the hitter's notebook. And every athlete who joins academy gets this notebook and there's so much value in writing down your thoughts. I know you guys have heard this from me, but Joe right here is about to teach you what he used to write when he was playing pro baseball and uh, the dividends that journaling has for him. So let's just learn the power of journaling as a hitter. 
from Joe Maroney. Enjoy. I remember the exact time I was hitting, what time of day it was, if it was cold or hot. It's so interesting when you're learning and you're going through this process and you're being diligent and being a student of the game, how much comes back to you. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. But so during pro ball, I really started to dive into everything on basis on pitch sequences, who I was facing, my opponent, all their statistics on the, on the opposition side, whether it was the defensive fielding percentages, everything because I had extra time to do it. I was a professional baseball player. So all I did was play baseball. So I had all the time in the world and other people weren't doing that. So I figured, Hey, I need to try and go to the next step, take my career to the next level. I need to be doing stuff, something extra, but keeping notes is something that we do in school. So I always thought to myself, why do we do it in school? If I'm trying to learn, get good grades, et cetera, move on to college and then into the professional world with a job, you're taking notes all the time. Why don't I apply it to something that I'm really, really passionate about, which is baseball? And that was the original thought, you know, back in college. And then it really took shape and form during my professional career, uh, seeing the benefits, using it, using a journal in the actual game. So I'd come and write, write down my bats after each at bat, pitch sequences, what I felt in the box, and pretty much everything, right? My timing, all of the above. And then in the offseason, or if I went to the cage, I can look back at my game and then I could write down what I was working on the cage. So this is, I'll share, you, share with you guys one of the things that I would write down. And you can see it's just an essay, right? It's just an essay. But this was back in 2018, January 5th. Feeling, feeling more and more confident in my swing, swing path last couple of days today. I could only do T work, but I felt that I built off the momentum uh, I've gained over the last couple of days. I'm matching the plan of the ball a lot, a lot better recently, and the trajectory, the velocity off the bat would agree. Things that I focus on today. So this is where you'll see in the book just those little things that can prompt you. So things I focused on today during that day was working on momentum forward, but staying behind the baseball, swinging um, the knob, keeping the front shoulder. So. You can kind of see these are all like small things to, that reminded me when I go and say, hey, this is a good session, small keywords. So when we're journaling and we're using, say, the hitter's notebook, um, the one that Ashley has provided for you guys, these, the small nuanced words that apply to our game, right? So like keeping my front shoulder in, just these small reminders are going to help you. And when you continuously write that stuff down on a day-to-day basis, habits start to take form. And then it really starts to show in your development as a, as a as a player. All right, this next speaker is incredible, Kendall Burton. She is a great friend of mine. I met her with the package deal. We did clinics together all the time. But when I learned her story of resilience from literally an ESPN article that was written about her her senior season at Georgia, she is one of the most resilient people I know. And I think we all can learn a little bit more about the muscle of resilience. No, most of us won't have 23 surgeries on a cleft palate until from like when you're born to up until you're 18, but she did that. And she was still able to play softball around it because she loved it. You'll hear it in her voice. She loves the game. And there was a time where she was playing, and I don't want to give the whole story. You guys have probably heard it on the podcast, but there was a time in her career where she knew there was more out there for her. Um, she was at her original school in Texas and she knew that she had more in her, especially after her stroke. 
she was like, I just want to, I just want more. So she transferred to Oklahoma State, loved the coaching staff. And then she was told by doctors that she couldn't play there because of her stroke that she had her freshman year at school and all of the other surgeries. She was just too, too high of a risk. So she ended up finding herself at Georgia. And this story that she's about to share with you is a little snippet of her resilience. And again, inside the academy, you can listen to the entire thing if you wanted. But overcoming self-doubt is something that she's had to do so many times. And I know we've all needed help with it. So let's learn from my good friend, Kendall Burton here. I ended up start getting the starting spot. Very first opening weekend was a starter in left field, which was absolutely astonishing. I was really proud of myself. But then came this overwhelming dread because I was like, I have been through so much. I can't lose it. Like I cannot lose this starting spot, which just made me spiral out of control. I was ridiculously stressed out all the time. I was overanalyzing every little thing I did on the field. My anxiety was an alt- at an all-time high back then. And that led me down a road of having so many post-stroke seizures. And they're either stress-induced or just a misfire with my brain cells. It's, it's hard to explain. If you want me to go into more detail, you can ask me more about them. And I ended up having a post-stroke seizure on the field on a live recorded game at a Mary Nutter Classic out in California. And... At that time, I had just lost my starting spot. It was the first time I sat the bench that year, and it was about three weeks into season. And I, I just, my, my body just gave out. I had this horrible post-stroke seizure. I thought I was having another stroke. I ended up staying the night in the hospital in California. And luckily, my dad was there, so I wasn't, like, completely alone. But at that moment, I was like, your softball career is done. You, you became this huge liability, these this doctor and this neurologist here in Athens, Georgia gave you the green light. There's no way that they're going to continue to give it to you. I mean, right then and there, my career was over in my brain. And I accepted that. I was like, you know what? You did everything you could. It is what it is at this point. Turns out I go back to the neurologist when I get back to Georgia and he was like, Oh no, you're good. I'm actually just going to put you on some pills. And I'm like, you're telling me I'm just going to write back to practice tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, you're fine. He's like, this is just what life is for you. We'll get you on some meds. They'll subside. We'll be great. And in that moment, I was like, whoa. Like, once again, huge opportunity. And I I missed it because I was sitting the bench for the first time in my entire life. I'd never done that before. There's a lot of emotions. And I every day, I just kept telling myself, like, wow, you did all of this to sit the bench. Like... I, w- I was so angry with myself. I really was. I was really, really mad. And I don't want to say I wasted three weeks of my life having that mindset, but I I wasted three weeks of my life sitting there feeling sorry for myself, which I had never done. I never, ever felt sorry for myself when I was dealing with anything with my cleft, anything with my stroke, nothing. Even when I was at Oklahoma State, I never felt sorry for myself. And it was the first time in my life that I was just negative no like my energy was dragging other people down i you know it didn't i just kept being like doesn't matter how hard i work like i'm never gonna get this starting spot like i'm so far away from home and it was just like negative nelly all day every day and finally one day i woke up and i was just like this is not why you fought to play on for this school this is not why you fought to you didn't fight to be the star 
Okay. Like you didn't fight to be this like all American player. Like you fought because of your love and your drive for a sport that is so much bigger than yourself, teaches you so many lessons. You get automatic best friends that you get to carry out for your entire life. Like this is not what you are. This is what you were fighting for. You weren't fighting to just be this epic starter and have your life just be awesome forever until you're not playing softball anymore. And the second that I had that mindset change and granted I had to work really hard on it. Like those negative thoughts kept coming back, but I was able to address them in a very different way and practice became more fun. Sitting the bench became more fun. And then all of a sudden I was a starter again and I started the last couple of weeks of the season but I did promise myself you're never going to sit the bench again because at that point I only had one season left. One season left to play and I was a leader on the team. I was one of the, I was a silent leader. I was definitely a leader by example versus uh, being super vocal with my teammates and I ran with that and I they really they jumped on board with me because they had seen how what I've been through and they saw the love that I have for the sport whether it's going good or it's going real bad. And with the other seniors that we had too, who were super vocal, they have been so amazing. They were all Americans. We, I ended up going to the World Series my final year as a senior. I mean, I, I get to say that I took my cleats off at the Women's College World Series, which is a, something that a lot of people will never have the chance and the opportunity to do and to say. Her story gives me goosebumps every single time that I hear it. Ugh, she's so incredible. All right, this next speaker that we've had in, in Academy, which ironically, I'm pretty sure we've had every single one of these speakers now that I'm looking at it on the podcast, but they have their own snippets inside of Academy. This one's from Chris Vasami, and he's my hitting bestie. I talk to him every single week about hitting and other things, of course, but he just gets it. And he has a no BS mentality and I just love him for it. And this, this snippet that he's going to talk about is hitting approach. I ask him questions all the time. He asks me questions all the time. I love his perspective on approach, especially on how to bring your practices into more dominant games. And I think that's a question that a lot of us have, and he addressed it directly when he spoke to my academy members. So here's Chris Vasami talking about hitting approach. Yeah, so when it comes to training, I like to call it controlled environments versus game. And a controlled environment to me is T, soft toss, front toss, batting practice when you know what's coming. Those are controlled environments. When you are in a controlled environment, unless you're working on your biggest flaw, 80% of the swings that you take should be the exact swing that you want to take with the result that you want to get. Mm. We should never have, like, if you guys are working the way that you are and you're as good as I believe you are, okay? We, we can't have bad tea sessions. And that's just me holding you guys accountable, which we'll get into later, okay? But you can't, like, you can't go to the level that you want to go to and have a bad tea session. What's a bad, a bad tea session? A like hitting balls that they're supposed to? Yeah, a bad tea session would be the, the tees on the outer third of the plate and you're rolling it over to shortstop. You can't do that. Nine-year-olds do that. Okay? <laughs> and, and look, I'm not a... Again, I'm not a perfect place person, but if the ball is on the outer half of the plate, then it should go to the right side of the cage if you're a righty. It should go to the left side of the cage if you're a lefty. 
Okay? If you want to play a target game, that's fine. But let the ball go where it's supposed to go. So that's what I, you know, that's my thing when it comes to training. Controlled environment, 80% of the swings should be what they should be. Four to five swings should be exactly what they want and then continuously do that over and over and over again. Then when you start getting into BP that you don't know what's coming, more simulated, more game-like, two, three, four, five pitches, now we start getting into more of our game mindset, which my game mindset is think bigger than you want in the strike zone, hunt fastballs, and stay middle. And to me, middle is literally from where the right fielder is standing to where the left fielder is standing. That's middle of the field to me. And then that way, when you're in game and you start thinking back to your T work and how that pitch middle out was hit to the right side of the cage, and now in a game when you get that pitch middle out, now you have a whole big giant field to work with. Yeah. I love that specifically because I can think of, and I'm sure all of us can think of times where we are thinking about driving up the middle and we're a little early, but we still hit it really hard. Fair. Yeah. Maybe like I think of an in the park home run that I drove. I was super early on this, on this slower off speed pitch. And I literally drove it right on the first baseline straight to the back corner. And then I ran for days and scored. But again, my mindset was to drive it at the middle. And then all of a sudden it was a little bit slower than I planned, but something still happened. That was positive. So I'm sure all of you can think of times when that happens. So I love that you just, that you talked about the middle of the field is that entire large spot. But I think a lot of us, we play too big. And like, as soon as we get out of the cage, we go to the field and all of a sudden this massive field, and then there's foul territory. And then like, we just get lost because we're not into that zoned mindset of I'm going to drive it as hard as I can to the right side of the cage, the left side of the cage, or right up the middle. We have to be zoned in and focused on that spot. I just wish I could have given you the entirety of his of his uh, talk with my academy members. He went in so many different directions in this call and also his question and answer. Um, people just had so many great questions for him. So if you have Academy, go listen to the whole thing because it's such a good one. I mean, they're all great, but like, go listen to Chris's too. All right, our next speaker is Christina Burkhart. I know you've heard of her. Um, she's my middle sister. Yes, there's another one. I'm so proud of her, first of all. Um, when I had her on my podcast, I was like, you are so well-spoken. And and of course, like I assumed that she would be, but like, I just loved her, her insights behind her experience of being a college athlete. And when she came to talk to my Academy members, of course she talked about her experience. I had her share her story. But what I really, really, really love is how she balances school and softball. Um, I was thinking about sharing the part where she talks about playing for two Hall of Fame coaches and what it takes to be that. But this, this question, this one right here, how do you balance school and softball? Every single time I have a clinic, this question comes up. And I thought she gave a really dominant answer on how to do it, but I just, I just really loved her answer. So, so here is Christina Burkhart talking about how to balance being an athlete and also focusing on school. So that was definitely an adjustment coming from high school. I guess the, the nicest thing about college is that you can kind of set your own schedule other than when coaches obviously make practice. But in high school, you're kind of like your class from like eight to three, and then you have practice following. Well, in college, 
at least for me in North Carolina, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, practices were at night. So my classes were in the morning. So I kind of just had like maybe one or two classes on those days. And then there's Tuesday, Thursdays, practices in the morning. So then I went to class at night. So it's, it's still pretty busy day with class practice, recovery, eating and study tables and stuff. So your freshman year can be a bit overwhelming just because you're, you're just getting used to it and having, you know, finding time to eat and sleep and study. It's, it can, it can be pretty overwhelming, but my biggest advice would, I stick with a planner and I wasn't a planner person in high school, but I'm a planner now and I will forever be. So like each week on Sunday, I would literally have like my entire like week planned out with everything that I needed to accomplish, even like class and homework, just having it like all laid out for me with like due dates and whatnot, that really helped me kind of just stay on track. And there's just a lot of resources for you once you get to college. Like I had, if you want a tutor for a class, they'll get you a tutor. Studying with the team was awesome. Just being in an environment where like everyone wanted to do well in their studies and stuff, like find people that are motivating because then it'll make you motivated. So I would hang out with like a few girls who after practice, we'd go eat and then we'd go straight to like study tables and we would just grind out some homework. So it's, it's very doable, obviously, but it is, it is an adjustment. Just be prepared for that. But overall, like there's a lot of help. Just don't be afraid to reach out for it. Natasha Watley. This is one of the athletes I grew up watching like a hawk. Her and Caitlin Lowe and Monica Abbott and Kat Osterman. I was literally watching these players like a hawk growing up. She just had a baby, by the way. Baby is so cute. Anyway, she talks about in this in this snippet. Again, I wish you could hear the entire thing. This was such a good episode. It was mostly a Q and answer, Q and answer, a Q and A session for her. And gosh, her answers were so good. But of course, she talks about her Olympic experience. But I think I really loved when she talked about failure recovery as well. So I added both of these. So she talked about competing under pressure, especially like the biggest pressure of playing on the biggest stage of the Olympics. And she's done it more than once, people. So she knows what she's talking about. But soon after, she talked about competing under pressure and playing with honor, which is, I think, something we all need to do a little bit more of. She also talks a little bit about failure recovery and what her coach, Sue Inquist, taught her about it and how you know, resilience comes from that and knowing how to fail and fail forward. Uh, she talks about that. So let's listen to Natasha Wally. I always say it's indescribable, but I will describe it for you. So I played in 2004 Olympics and 2008. So 2004 was in Athens, Greece and 2008 was in Beijing. And 2004, I just graduated from college. So I was young, naive, but just hungry. I want, you know, again, my dream was to play on this Olympic team, but playing on that level, it's very overwhelming. You can really psych yourself out because you feel like it's all this pressure. Um, but one thing that I feel like I was so lucky is I did play with a lot of veterans. So I played with these women that I looked up to, these names I told you to write down, Lisa Fernandez, Leo Brian Amico, Laura Berg. Um, but just seeing how they approached every practice, every game, they practiced 
they approach every practice like we were playing the Olympics that day at practice, you know? So I think just being able to follow their lead and not make it that much bigger than it is, I think really helped that transition of once we really got into the arena of the Olympics is just like, this is the same game that we've been playing all these years. And this is what we practice every single day for. And it's no different than our practices because we've been playing at this intensity every single time we step on the field for practice. And so I think the Olympics, uh, I don't know, it's just one of those things, once you know what it represents, I think that's the part that's what, that's what makes it really cool. You're playing for your country. And what that represents is you're representing your peers, your family, your friends, your high school, your college, like you're, you are now this representative on this huge, huge stage and it comes with honor. And I think once you start to play with honor, it's a different feel. It's a different feel from that very first time that I picked up a bat, you know, because it's like, oh, this like, just go for it attitude that you have when you're just starting but once you start to like go through the ranks and also know that it's an honor to be at this stage i think it's really special and so i feel like that was one of the things that i appreciate the most about the olympics 2008 was a different experience in terms of the outcome we so in 2004 we won gold 2008 we won silver and we lost to japan but i will say my Olympic experience was actually better in 08 um, because this was my second time around. And this time I wanted to really, really take in like all the experiences, like opening ceremony, closing ceremony, go to another sport, be a spectator at another sporting event. And so I feel like my Olympic experience was better outside of softball, but the actual softball, you know, wasn't that, it was great. We, we still won, we won silver and yeah. So I think my biggest message is in terms of like my attitude up to bat and fielding was approaching it like it was no different than any other game that I had played before in my um, career. So good. So good. I had a quick question for you, especially because I know how much you love Sue Inquist and how great she is. She talked about how you guys would do like failure recovery practices in practice. Like yeah. you would practice messing up. Right. And this is something I don't think many people teach. So how did she teach this and what do you remember from when she taught that? I think when we would actually make mistakes or errors, she would like stop, pause, practice. And it wasn't like just a blemish of like, okay, like let's move on to the next thing. She would make you kind of like, okay, like this is, you know, the bottom of the seventh and you just, you know, the bobble that you just had, how, what's, what is your routine? What is your recovery routine? You know? And so is it like, are you taking off your glove? Are you, fixing the dirt? Are you picking a spot on the outfield fence? Are you taking a deep breath? Like she would make us actually go through those exercises of when we failed because she wanted it to be seamless. Like if you make a mistake, it's part of the game. It's part of your routine. It's part of what you do every single day. You've already prepared to not necessarily like not your parent preparing to make a mistake, but you're preparing what you're doing if a mistake happens. And so I think having those tools, when a mistake happened in a game, it wasn't such a big deal. It was like, oh, okay, I've done this before. Like, let me just regroup. Let me have my short-term memory. Let me take my deep breath. Let me take off my glove. Let me, you know, do all these things. Now I can go to that next pitch a little bit quicker and not so much dwelling. And so I think those were the things that she really instilled in us was really like, you know, yeah, we say that we are mentally tough, but like, are you really doing the tactical, physical things to make sure that you're getting over those failure moments? All right. Last but not least, my biggest role model ever, the fact that she spent 
almost two hours with us for the podcast just shows how much she loves this game and how she wants to see it grow. But I asked her to come in to talk to my academy members about, or to just to parents, really, how they can be better for their athlete. I'm constantly getting questions from amazing listeners like you and those inside the academy and also those that I work with in person around here just about how they can show up better. And I I think that's why you're here. Like you are listening to this podcast because you want to learn how to help your athlete thrive and reach the goals that she has for herself. And so she shared with the Academy five key principles for parents of performing children. And it was hard to choose, I'm telling you, which part of which one of the five I wanted to share. But there was actually a question that was asked by a parent and a player, basically a dad and a daughter about how she could stand out at her next camp or tournament to get seen by coaches. And I know a lot of people here are young in the game, but if there's ever a point in time where your athlete does want to play at the next level or even just play for a new team, that's like another thing. It's like, if you want to play for an elite travel team and you need to be able to show up and be seen and stand out. Sue Inquist goes through a list of things that each position player and hitter should do or have. And I thought this was just an absolute goldmine. So we are ending with probably the longest snippet of recording with Sue Inquist, but it's a goodie. It is a goodie. And I'm really excited to end with this one. So here is Hall of Fame coach Sue Inquist. If you're going to a camp and the camp starts at nine, be there at eight and help them pick up trash or set up ball bags or do whatever. Or stay late and pick up trash and hang up ball bags to do whatever. If you're going to a college camp, how you're, there's, I'm going to see 700 of you in summer camp. You're like, oh, Coach Nell, there's only like 80 people. I'm running like five of those, six of those. How do you separate yourself? Be helpful, be resourceful, be positive, hustle everywhere, not jog, lazy jog, sprint everywhere. Anytime they go, we've got AABs. That's a stat at UCLA. It's called above and beyond AAB. Go to every AAB drill, meaning drills are over at noon. Lunch starts at 1245. We've got AABs from 12 to 1245. Stay there. Ask a bazillion questions because coaches today want players that are engaged. Now, technical. Let me run through it quickly. I need a pitcher that can give up a home run and then strike out the next kid or get an out. So I'm looking for that above and beyond that ability to fail and recover as a pitcher. As a catcher, you've got to throw a line Belt high, tag side, to second base. I need you to be able to do that when the ball is in or out, up or down. The middles, you've got to be able to show me you can go opposite to where you're throwing, shortstop, five, six hole, and you've got to be able to keep that lead leg, that knee inside your front foot when you've got to transfer weight and throw a rope to first base. Outfield. If your ball is dying on the relay, I want no part of you. And I want you to be able to throw in the four corners on all defensive positions, except when you're going to throw two tags. Tags, we want to belt high, tag side. Everybody else better be right in the four corners. 
It takes a tenth of a second out to put my glove out here, a tenth of a second to come back in to make a tag. That's two tenths of a second. That's four feet when they're running the bases. How many times have you been safer out by one step? So those are things overall on defense. When it comes to hitting, I want you to be able to hit that inside pitch up the middle. And I want you to be able to hit line, rising line drives that are down and out. I don't want a flare banana. I want a rising line drive into that eight, nine hole. I would love for you to be able to put the butt down. I know the butt's not very important, but it's certainly, it peers its ugly head during the World Series every time. So I love being able to master the little things, especially when you work on it. You can get really a lot better at it. So those are some of the technical things. You now live in an uh, an area of time where we have wearable technologies. I'd be looking at all of your your bat metrics, your exit velocity, all those kinds of things, and compare them to other people at your position. Now, this all goes out, out the window as UCLA. The first thing I look at is your, your academic credentials. So I've got to see what your resume looks like in your grades before I even look at your swing overall. Those are some of the things that catch my eye when it comes to the recruiting process. Mm, I love this episode. I love how simple it is, but how powerful it is at the same time. And again, I'm telling you, it was so hard to figure out what three to five minute snippets I wanted to take from these epic, epic calls that these elite people that I know frankly had with my academy members. And every single time we had one of them come in, it was either an athlete or a parent that reached out to me and said, thank you for, for allowing my athlete to to meet these people. I'm excited for you guys to see who the lineup is going to be for our next six months of Academy. It's going to be amazing because the more people we get in Academy, I'm just frankly going to say it, the bigger and, and more amazing our guest speakers can be. And this round was so good and it can only get better. And that's just the coolest part about Academy. It's always growing. And I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this community that's holding each other accountable to the big goals that we have. I think that's the one thing that even last week, someone told me like, we're just looking for accountability. We're looking for how can we build habits where my athlete can kind of own her schedule, own how bad she wants it. And I can just be here to support her. And that's what it should be about. It should be about how your athlete can not only learn how to be good at this game, which is a must, right? If we do anything, we should do it well. Yeah, we're going to learn that, but we're going to learn how to be the best. And I think when you do anything, you should put your best foot forward always. And there's always growth that can be made. There's always growth that I can have. There's always growth that everybody listening can have. Wherever you are now doesn't have to be where you end. And I want this academy to be where you can learn in whatever part of your game needs work. And of course, it's called a hitting academy. But if you want to be a more game savvy player, and you want to take your hitting to the next level. But also you just want to be inspired and owning your own work ethic. This is where you want to be. Frankly, this is where you want to be. So guest speakers come every month and you've just listened to a tiny piece of that. Every single person who joins is going to be able to listen to all of these guest speakers that we just listened to partially. You can you have access to the entire interview and also um, calls in the future just so rad and awesome. So before I'm blue in the face and I'm talking about this so much, 
join the waitlist. If you are even on the bubble of Virtual Hitting Academy, just join the waitlist. There's no obligation to join that. And if by the end of the seven days, you're like, this just isn't for us yet, don't worry. It's always going to be here. You just won't be able to join again until January. So just join the waitlist. Be a part of this really cool opportunity. You might even get a full interview of the six that we just met. I'm just deciding which one I'm going to give you guys um, once doors open. But waitlist is going to get some cool bonuses. I'm excited for you guys to see them. And again, you can join the waitlist at www.ashleybturning.com or you can just click on the link that I'm going to share with you below this episode and come join us. It's fun here. (laughs) All right. If you enjoyed this episode with our incredibly amazing guest speakers and or you just are a part of Virtual Learning Academy or want to be a part of it and you want to share with your friends, man, oh man, would I love you for that. Also, I've been reading some incredible reviews lately. Oh my gosh, I'm doing this off the cuff. But we've had some incredible people write reviews on Apple Podcasts lately. And they have been so good. They have blown me away. I'm literally pulling one up right now. Okay, the most recent one, April 28th. A great podcast for those who softball. My daughter and I spend a lot of time in the car. Being in a small town, we get to travel for practice, lessons, and of course, tourneys. We just found our favorite podcast. Two down already, and she's wanting to listen to two on the way home. Keep up the great work. From the Oracle. I think that's what I think that's what your name is called. How cool is that? Literally, they are spending time in the car with each other, learning how to be better for themselves. And Sue Inkwa said this yesterday. You cannot be better for your team unless you're better for yourself. And I just love that you're here to do that. And I hope this episode and previous episodes have helped you with that. And if they have reviews, help this get out to more people, especially like writing the review. Even if you just want to click the five stars, that would be cool too. I want this podcast to reach more people. I mean, we're already in like eight countries, which is just bonkers, but there's more people we can reach. So reviews like that, love you for it. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your week. I hope that you're listening to this early so you can be a part of our waitlist and be a part of our virtual hitting academy because it is such a cool community. And man, it's crazy. Our roster is filled with athletes from California, Washington, kid you not, Texas, New Jersey, Wisconsin, Indiana, of course, my Indiana peeps, and East Coast. Like we're everywhere. And let's let's go even further. My goal is to have one person from every state. How cool would that be inside of Virtual Hiding Academy? The game is different in, in all 50 states. How cool would it be to have one person from every single one representing? Mm. Man, I'm going to do something cool when we get there. But all right. Enough of me talking about Virtual Hiding Academy. Again, go to my website. You can join at least just the wait list. I'd love to see you inside though. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. And I hope you stay humble, stay awkward. We all need to be awkward and goofy. And keep smiling and keep working towards those goals, especially when it's hard especially when it's hard. Keep going. You're chipping away. All right. See you next week. 